thanks Andrea for your um, contribution and because you provided so many departure points for me now no that's great to kind of enter the the, the site for unlearning and that's what I'm trying now um, because uh, in a way what you mentioned the hidden curriculum um, which I'm still very grateful to all the schools and all the collaborators that I have been um, involved in there, that has nevertheless been one of the many lines, but one line of um, frustration also. Because um, partly of that, and I still believe in this um, investigation together with the, the pupils and the students in this uh, moment of uh, um, uh, formal and informal knowledge, I think that's still very powerful uh, in, in looking in that. But alongside that, I have been continuously looking into learning concepts and trying to find helping constructors. I mean, you mentioned one with the ignorance, of course, uh, Ranciere um, is there. The black feminist like Bell Hooks, her, her yeah. workings around that were very helpful. Then, of course, Paulo Freire. Um, and many um, more mainstream learning theories. But one thing that I became more and more um, aware of in doing the trying to work around this uh, uh, notion of the hidden curriculum and the language is the second thing where I would like to go in, um, was the moment that basically what, what I was using was a quite standard understanding of learning. And that's one thing why this, and you could name it new word, but it has been around for a long time now, the unlearning. It has been picked up in many instances. Um, why that uh, suddenly became more, and since years now, more and more interesting for me, because it is maybe a way of kind of going against the standard understanding of learning, which is accumulation of knowledge, behaviors, and skills. So which is too smoothly, too easily, it ties in in, a, in an, yeah, the accumulative understanding of knowledge economy. So I thought, like, ooh, what, what would it do if I think about, and now it's really about sketching out a few parameters of um, unlearning, what has been also important for us in the collaboration, um, that this co-determinancy of learning and unlearning is something that we could kind of build upon in order to um, investigate, investigate our own investment in the knowledge economy, because that's where we clearly are. Um, a second one, and there is, like, uh, of course, Lila Gandhi, also really important, and, uh, um, but also another post-colonial critic, uh, Gayatri Spivak, is the unlearning one's privileges. And that's something that we have been working uh, again and again on. So um, unlearning one's uh, privileges, um, Spivak coined this term in the, in the 80s, and I understand it, there are different understandings around this. I understand it um, as relentlessly working through one's assumptions, one's prejudices and histories in order to actually tackle, or being able to tackle um, social inequalities conditions of coloniality that we are still perpetuating. Um, and I think that is quite nice because it kind of, uh, while you were re uh, talking, I was uh, thinking you were always using like, to be in the, um, what's it? Imperial periphery. Imperial periphery. And I was thinking like, okay, what is this to be? So how can we, what's the practice? of being there. What, 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 what is the, when does it perpetuate certain colonial um, oppression and when does it go beyond? And I think that is something that, so that were um, 
these two moments, and I think Bina already in her introduction uh, sketched out the third one that for Casco and me in our two years long collaboration now on the site for unlearning has been quite, quite crucial. And actually also one of the starting points and communal interest is this um, institutional habits. So the habits, which again, for me, goes back in an investment with the writings of Gayatri Spivak in her new book. She's kind of heavily drawing from uh, Bateson and Antonio Gramsci um, and trying to find a way of uh, tackling habits and what they kind of um, frame as uh, not institutional habits, they take habits as, uh, um, or she is uh, uh, trying to work through habits as something um, that we execute beyond consciousness. Um, and basically, and that's for me the important thing, and we were discussing that also a lot in our um, regular meetings uh, over the years, is like that habits basically lost the capacity to question themselves. So uh, how can we actually produce a certain kind of short circuit, if at all, to kind of go against this uh, uh, moment of habitualization, but also like execution of habits. Um, and um, I will only like one more, two more minutes uh, go um, on a more meta level. Um, one of the things, the, the, the big questions for us in Casco were actually at, like three steps when we were approaching this. Um, if we think together, um, unlearning an art organization, but also processes of commoning. What, how, how can we kind of bring these three um, terms, concepts and practices together? Has been the first one was actually that we spent quite a lot of time on the moment of like, okay, what is it actually that we want to unlearn? Building upon these parameters that I sketched out. So what, what, what are the objects of unlearning? So that was the first one. Once we have agreed on some, or identified some, um, a second step kind of, and this is far, was far more messy than I'm saying this now, um, we try to develop certain unlearning exercises of how we could approach these objects of unlearning. Um, and, uh, and the third step is the, the moment of, uh, which you in a way see here, uh, one of the results, but also like the meeting now, is the process of, uh, um, or not the process, the question of visibility in how far we actually do need to make visible what we have been doing. Do we need to do that at all, this internal process? Because it's, it was really like the... Exactly. Um, but then, of course, you are also like in constraints. I'm also like an, an, an artist who is really like uh, who, who works with visibilities, invisibilities, which ones to show, which ones not to show, um, and which ones to share also. That's the other thing. So these practices on the uh, imperial periphery, <laughs> how, how are they um, part of a very small community? Or is it also, when is there a task to kind of to kind of broaden them. And before we go into what Bina said, the more workshop mode, which is basically a, a small, short brainstorming sessions that we would like to, or exchange in smaller groups around the institutional habits, I would like to ask Ying to go more concretely, maybe into one or two um, objects that we have identified, or processes that we have identified that are important for us to continue to work on. Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm working here at Costco. I'm part of the Costco team since about um, almost three years now. So I have a background in anarchist and activist anthropology and also in disguise. I work here um, 
mainly focused on community organizing. Um, and what I want to do now is to kind of bring down and learning to uh, the practice of what we've been doing here at Casco so that you can get a bit of a feel. And then we want to go into this workshop to also have you, let you have a small taste of um, what, uh, what we've been trying to do here. Um, so how it was set up two years ago is that we've been, uh, we started to meet um, uh, bi-weekly for two hours on Monday morning, most busiest morning uh, of our week whilst we were moving and building a new exhibition. And in the beginning, mainly, we would join with the whole staff team, uh, including the interns, which was uh, yeah, quite an insane endeavor because we were uh, working very hard and it would take two hours from our time uh, to not be able to produce something for the public. Um, the, what we did in these two hours, uh, I mean, I'm speaking from my perspective here now, so please uh, intervene or add. Costco people <laughs> and Aneta. Um, what we did is we, we spent these two hours to reflect and talk about uh, what kind of institutional habits we were um, engaged with, which we were executing ourselves. Uh, and I remember in the first session that we had this small round where we, where Aneta posed us the question of what would you like to unlearn? And it's a, it's, it was a very long process uh, to actually identify and discover the things that we would actually start engaging with. Um, but from the beginning, we had a strange commonality, um, which we put together under the banner of busyness, um, which had to do kind of with the idea of, you know, the pressure to perform, uh, feeling nervous, um, uh, feeling pressure to make your deadlines, uh, uh, wanting to have a good quality, uh, these kind of things. Um, and also the question how when uh, we were noticing that when people would ask you how you are, that we would all say, I'm great, I'm so busy, <laughs> I'm really, really busy, but I'm, but I'm great. Maybe, maybe you recognize this. Um, this was something that, yeah, it, it's, it's quite an interesting process when this, when this happens, because what is it that you're actually saying when you are busy? Um, in a way, you're saying it as a complaint, like, yeah, I'm very busy and I have too many things to do and too little time. But on the other hand, it kind of masks this idea of being a very successful uh, person with a great career, a demanding career, a successful career, but also maybe very much socially in demand. Um, so yes, you could you're calling, you're complaining about being busy, but actually you're masking the fact that you might be a very productive citizen of what society wants you to be. Um, so what we try to do with this is we wrote down, okay, so this busyness is something that we want to deal with. And we wrote it down, you can see it on the wall here, it says busyness, but then we actually made a spelling mistake, uh, putting the, the I in the Y, uh, we mixed them up, and this was for us very interesting, and it, it also made us reflect more on the, yeah, I'm also talking about values a little bit, I guess, uh, the value of what productivity means and how, um, how not, just, not just in our own experience, like how would we feel when we are productive, but also sort of in larger societal process, processes of what society considers to be uh, productive. Um, and after many, many sessions and many, many talks, oh, you can't hear me? Ah. Um, we decided to, yeah, we went on to try to formulate exercises around um, productivity and uh, unlearning busyness. Um, we did that 
through various exercises. I'm not going to name them all, but I'm going to take a few uh, to give you an example of how we try to engage with this. So the first um, that we actually did came from a very urgent practical uh, process that was going on in our team at the moment. Um, because when you're talking about productive labor, of course you cannot forget to include the reproductive labor. Uh, so how to care, to sustain, to nourish life, um, but also the position that reproductive labor takes up in um, yeah, how people value that. In an institutional habit, uh, of course, yeah, we can talk about motherhood and all these things, but in, within the context of Casco, what we were struggling with at the moment was the division of domestic labor. Um, like the question of who is doing this domestic labor, why are these people doing the domestic labor, and how can we actually think about how this is relating to a larger institutional structure and how can we try to actually unlearn the fact that we are splitting this up to let be done by the people who do the production uh, work and the interns and the volunteers, by the way. So um, what we try to do is to come in our rhythm there and actively make time, uh, collective time, and actively make collective rhythm to undertake this domestic labor as a team so that we can all do this together. Um, which we did as an exercise in the beginning to, uh, yeah, to deal with a sort of, yeah, this struggle that was going on, the frustrations within certain members of the team, but also to yeah, reflect on what it means to make time for something like this, which as an institution is not something that is necessarily something at the fore. Um, and uh, yeah, so we try to do this uh, uh, every week and recently, especially since we also moved, we actually, we changed this, we turned this, we turned this into a, in an, an institutional habit of our own. It's still sometimes that we like, oh, oh, oh we all have to clean, oh, it's, uh, well, it's never, it's not as easy as it sounds, but we do it and we try to be faithful to it. Um, that is one example of why we try to deal with unlearning that we are somehow devaluing reproductive labor within an institutional context. Uh, another example was the time value, um, which is uh, the one you can see over there. Uh, yes, above, above your head. <laughs> um, which was trying to understand what this feeling of business came from. So what is it that makes us so busy all the time? What is it that makes us feel like we don't have enough time to do the things we want to do or don't even have enough time to do the things that we actually planned on doing. Um, so for uh, two weeks, two weeks, for two weeks we like logged every single activity um, that we undertook on the day, including the time. So it would start in your house, getting up, getting dressed, having a shower, eating breakfast, moving to the office. How many time do you spend on, on emailing? Uh, for me, it was quite confronting to see how much time I spent on smoking and uh, <laughs> talking, for example. But what was interesting to see is that you create space to identify certain activities that you take that are not considered necessarily productive, but that take up your time. Things as talking to like coming into the space and making a cup of coffee and then spending maybe a little bit more time talking to your colleague about uh, whatever happened yesterday. Or a birthday. I remember it was the first time that Stein uh, 
came to work with us. Oh no, it was Hu, sorry, Stein's predecessor. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, he had just graduated, so we made pie and we cut the cake, but actually we had staff meetings, so then it was half an hour later because we had to divide up the, the cake and these kind of things. So it's very interesting to see through this time diary that we actually identified all these sort of hosting, care relations, time we spent also again in the reproductive realm mostly, um, that you don't take into account and that you don't plan for, and then you have this full program to run the institution, to run the business of the institution, um, which then uh, kind of, yeah, you, you can really understand then how, how it, what, what, what is the problem with forgetting that you spend time and that you have to take time also for these kind of things. I'm talking too long, I think. Uh, so, for us it was quite, we've been doing this for two years now, um, and for us it was really super inspiring also to have all these, uh, to become aware of all these in, internalized uh, things that you take for granted actually, or that you don't like stand still to look at, these assumptions on uh, things that you should, should or should not value. Um, and we've been, we spent quite some time to think about how we could actually make that into a workshop for all of you, because this is a two years process with hours and hours of talking and uh, how do you do this in a workshop of 20 minutes? Um, so we're just gonna try to give you a taste. Uh, so what we have prepared for you. Which will work now on the institutional habits that we already uh, um, said before. So Ying will bring some papers. We would like to split you up in small groups. And it's really something about, because these institutional habits became so important for us, so this is really actually the exchange around these institutional habits that we would like you to um, discuss and to uh, see what are actually the institutional habits that in your particular group, let's say we do groups of six or seven people, um, what kind of institutional habits can you think of? Um, and maybe also, maybe you can show them what we prepared for you. So collect your institutional habits. That's the first part. Then you kind of, so it's about mapping institutional habits. The second part would be, so once you have identified these habits, because that's a quite important one, we don't want to necessarily get rid of all habits. So it's not everything is bad what we are doing, although I guess quite a lot, at least from my habits. So which one? are the ones that you would like to get rid of and which ones to keep. And maybe it's even the other way around, so which ones to keep and which ones to get rid of. And the third one is, that's a, that's a quite tough one of course, <laughs> but I mean that's our chance to get your input. <laughs> Sketch out one of these that you would like to get rid of and how would you actually do it. And, uh, taking part, and that's and I will walk around because then we can help you out a little bit when you have questions. Um, but maybe you can form a group around each speaker and one of the Costco team members so that there is, well, not that you have the answers, yeah, 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 but yeah, just yeah. to have sort of a, I don't know. And a, yeah, I mean, everyone does. I mean, there's a group of students here and uh, I mean, uh, Gabriela is here. So the, I mean, we are, I think we are all part of uh, some kind of institutional habits. Well, do you have a family, for example? I don't know. Um, so, but we're gonna be super strict. So we're gonna give you like, we're being, yeah, we'll give you like times and we'll be very 
strict. Exactly. Because we also do like Yeah. <laughs> so we, we thought about the first one, 10 minutes, to identify which to keep, which to get rid of, five minutes, and then 10 minutes again. And then we would come together and maybe we pick one or two. Um, uh, like groups, so we would kind of display them so everyone has access to the other uh, um, findings. Um, and one or two we could uh, go a little bit more into. So how do we do the groups? I think, uh, each of you yes, perfect. And I guess we could use all the space, also the um, space on the left and the space on the right. Yes. Welcome back. I hope you all had a nice conversation. Um, the question would be now, we only have a short period, so for the discussion, we'd really like to use the plenary time to maybe go more into sort of also connecting uh, everything uh, also that Nora is going to talk about together. Um, but just for the sake of to get a peek of what you've been doing, I'd like to ask um, maybe uh, one person uh, from each group, maybe we can't do all groups. Let's take two report backs. Um, is there is there a volunteer actually who would like to quickly sh uh, talk about and report back on what you've been discussing? 
There's never volunteers. Shall I point out? I'm, would you like to uh, have the microphone and, and, and quickly give a summary? Thank you. As you can see from the, no, I, I don't know, all the, all the pink ones are all the habits. Um, we, on the first paper, yeah. Um, we decided that careerism was something that we dwelt on quite a lot. Uh, we were thinking about timekeeping and, yeah, this is kind of hard to read. Uh, <laughs> reliance on emails as well. Uh, we talked about that quite a lot. So we basically said all of the things on top, we wanted to get rid of them. <laughs> and then we talked about doing uh, like self-care in your daily schedule. Um, and that included yoga and some anecdotes about napping in the workplace. Sleeping in general. Sleeping in general. Uh, that that helps with time management. Um, so... I don't know, at the bottom I have learning to say no. Timekeeping. Don't answer emails in the morning. Yoga, have breakfast, working at home or not. And then having some sort of a system for clocking on and off if you're working at home. To stop working when you're... To stop working and, and do your life. Uh, and then we talked about how in Deutsche Bank, when people went on holidays, they had two weeks of paid leave. And when they went on holidays... They, the, there was an email sent from their email account that said, uh, your email will be deleted while I'm on holiday, so don't email me until after. So it was like an instance of the institution protecting the person, maybe a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Anybody else who's in our group? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it looks a lot neater than it actually is. <laughs> Problem. Yeah, you can. Okay. That was your problem. <laughs> 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 um, how to fit everything in like the five minutes. Okay, yeah. So sometimes making presentations, how you might have a template or a certain structure that you need to adhere to that's set by the institution and that might uh, lead to the whole idea being simplified or reduced in some way. And how to deal with that. Yeah. Well, I guess this is a very good example of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. seen that before, in how far we are actually tricking ourselves. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we've... Uh, and then there was some other... Um, talking about other institutions. Um, one of our group... I'm sorry, I don't... Where is she going? What's your name? Lauren. Lauren. Aaron was working in the V&A and she had some like very rigorous institutional habits like relying or e meeting rooms and the etiquette in canteens and having a staff pass, like physically not being able to pass certain points. And then out of that, there's a hierarchy of decision making in those kind of institutions um, that can be subverted sometimes in, in an unfair way. So those are sort of like habits of power in the institution. So in that hierarchy of decision-making, there might be somebody who has the power to just sidestep all of that process, and you might be able to go in and have a little word with them on the QT. Uh, and that's not really fair, so that's another institutional habit. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I don't know. Does anybody else want to talk about theirs? That sounds really great. Um, but I see you're also struggling with uh, uh, all the different kind of institutional habits that you wrote down. Like, it's, it's how many are there? Like, 15 or something? Yeah, I'm quite impressed. Uh, that you were managed because the thing, one of the things we were worried about is that when you bring together another problem that is of course with unlearning is that when you're trying to unlearn you do it with a group uh, that you know that you are actually interested to uh, unlearn something because there is something that binds you um, so this is another thing that we were worried about like if we have an audience uh, of whom not everyone knows each other what will happen because you have different institutions so um, but uh, yeah <laughs> Because the exercise was totally individualized, or like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, think, I, I mean, it's interesting, you look know, across the matters, I mean, there's huge similarities. I'm sure it's a general condition, and you've got people working in very different types of institutions. Yeah. This yeah. question of timekeeping, of planning, of free time, of social time, of um, informal time is something that comes up again and again. So. I think even though we didn't know many people, it was, it's very easy to relate to these issues. I was wondering around and everybody was also, well not everybody, but people were talking about problems and solutions. But I was also interested that the habits, habits are like problems that need to be solved. But sometimes it's just enough to maybe acknowledge that they are there. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting. Oh, we have five minutes to find problems here, or like find solutions for the problem. Yeah. But we were also talking about the conditions because it's not only like problems. You're also living on the condition. Like, there is also conditions, and there is like always relations of power wherever you are. Or like, and yeah, I don't know. So, can I quickly? I think that is a really important uh, comment because I think that is for us when we were. Um, embarking in this uh, um, endeavor, one thing that again and again occurred to us that of course these conditions are there and we were kind of like, and now I'm bringing deliberately up the study concept from uh, Stefano Harney and Fred Morton. So there are conditions of studying like uh, um, around and learning, but I think there is this moment or shift where actually these conditions, like, or how can these conditions get the object of the study then? So that they also like, or the practice of studying, so that they don't stay in this moment of like, oh yeah, there are the conditions, but really uh, can be tackled, identified, and maybe also being the place of the, well, now I'm saying a big word of the transformations, I don't even want to say it, but like in, in kind of shifting the place of uh, looking at the conditions. Maybe we can move to another um, paper. So I'm looking at this, the one that maybe, probably no one can see, but uh, it's, it's at the back. Um, and the reason why is because it has one final yeah. word, uh, like sentence on the, on the back, which says more informality, time and space. So I'm quite interested. Maybe, maybe one of these groups would like to report back on that. I think it was the group that was in this space, right? I think basically first it burned down to uh, yeah, more places of informality. Um, because uh, we liked our uh, lunching times and also the birthday cakes. Um, but to actually find... Metaphorical birthday cakes. Yeah. Sorry for that. <laughs> so we, but but finding, finding um, the time and the actual place where these happenings can happen, basically. Um, which would solve issues such as uh, we had over-planning, uh, um, too much uh, meeting times, 
and uh, where we maybe would have yeah, we were a bit unclear about if then in these lunching times or in this time and space for more informality, if then the actual uh, things which would maybe happen in the meetings would then occur also in these um, more informality meetings, but uh, that's maybe up for the future. Yeah. But I think what you said, at the, what, what you were talking about at the end was really important that actually it becomes... Uh, and it relates to this question of conditions, they also become, yeah, they become temporal and spatial questions in terms of architecture of spaces, uh, timetables of working. Um, not that I have the answers to what these temporal spatial conditions might be, but that, that's the sort of nuts and bolts of how these things could might be addressed, I guess. Is there any one of you who, who had a, a strong uh, problem with the overplanning? You you had it, I think so. You want to get into that? Or? I, I just—it's interesting that in our group, which was the first that uh, that you read out, that, that we were actually talking. But there were a number of people in our group that were freelance, and there were some people that were working in institutions. So there's first of all this relationship between informality and formality. And so one of the things that w it's interesting that you say more informality that you came out with this because. For us, there was an understanding, I mean, you know, even institutionally, we work at home as well, there was an understanding that actually would really help us to be able to kind of turn on and turn off. So it was a kind of opposition to informality, you know, the horizon being the kind of Google play space where everybody is constantly creatively industrious, you know. Yeah, I also find it interesting because we touched upon it as well uh, during the unlearning sessions when we were actually, but we came into quite a discussion about it because what does it mean when you formalize informality? What does it mean when you actively create space for informality? Because doesn't that do, if you, doesn't that do exactly the opposite yeah. in a sense? Yeah. What if you actively like plan for making this birthday cake and then planning this time? Like what does that take away from the actual care structure? Oh, yeah, yes. yes, exactly. Like. If so, if I can, yeah, um, it's time now. We have ten minutes, but yeah, I, I really, I really feel for this idea of informality. But we all completely acknowledge the idea of the problem of uh, sort of structuring informality, uh, which is a really big problem. But I think informality always helps a lot. So maybe there's just a sort of general acceptance of. Uh, of informality, so maybe the, the idea when when you uh, walk uh, out of your desk for half an hour, you don't feel bad that you're not typing frantically, but uh, that you accept together that if uh, if two people walk away for an hour, uh, that that's okay, maybe something like that, sort of as an atmosphere or yeah, I, I think informality will help because. Now when we are in this class, we also have an assignment for the drinking party. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Overplanned and, and restricted <laughs> <laughs> understanding informality because the drinks is usually informality after the formality has taken place. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You might be right. right. I, I have an anecdote on that. Um, in Sweden, they call it the mingle. Yeah. So that... 
after, so after you've had a guest lecture or something like that, then there's a there's timetabled the mingle. So it's like you're given like physical kind of coordinates for what you need to do. You need to walk around a room carrying a warm glass of white wine. You know. Um, yeah, I think we can continue discussing like for another hour, but considering timekeeping and time management, I think Stan would be very grateful also to, uh, yeah. Informal break. Uh, mingle. mingle, please, now. Uh, so the, the continuation of the event is basically we have a 20-minute break now, then uh, Nora's talk, and then uh, time for plenary discussion.